Football America is live and underway here on ESPN Plus on a Thursday evening at the end of March, episode 234 for those keeping track at home. Hercules Gomez, what are you wearing? Because I like it. Oh, this is a uh, company out in uh, Miami, Florida, I believe. It's called Calcio, and they got a nice little Ronaldinho uh, shirt. I'll show you the back someday, but it's got nice little moments throughout his history. I'm pretty sure the uh, two goals he scored at the Azteca are on there. I was going to say, are there, are there moments of him in a Querétaro shirt there? There absolutely should be, and it should be. <laughs> if not, moments of him in El Coco Bongo in Cancun. All right, uh, so we got a lot coming up on episode if 234 you know, you know. of Football Americas. Derek Ray is going to join us from Germany in just a little bit, previewing Der Klassiker, which this weekend is not on ESPN, it's not on ESPN2, I think it's also on ESPN+. Plus. It's on ABC, her. It's on, it's on Big Network TV. Air, okay? So uh, we will preview Der Klassiker, of course, featuring Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, Alfonso Davies, Gio Reyna, may they feature. We'll also hear from Charlotte Gibson. Speaking of features, her. She had a video feature and a written piece on Alyssa Thompson, who we know is starring right now in the National Women's Soccer League with Angel City FC at just 18 years old. But let's start this show with highlights. Highlights her from CONCACAF Nations League because we had two decisive midweek games. We're going to start with Canada hosting Honduras. Canada wins their group with a win or a draw. Honduras had to win. First 10 minutes, Jonathan Osorio, Kyle Aaron, 1-0 Canada. I mean, it's a very nice little finish, give and go with Jonathan Osorio and then Kyle Aaron doing his thing. A few minutes later, corner kick, Steven Ostakio, the assist, Kyle Aaron, 2-0. Maybe you don't just fall. Maybe you try defending a player like that. Still 2-0 into the second half. Loose ball, gonna fall to Jonathan David, 3-0. Jonathan David! I mean... I don't know how I feel about Jonathan David just continuing to score goals for both club and country like that. It's a little weird. You got a problem with it, Herc. Yeah, a problem with it. Honduras going to get one back with about a little. 15 minutes to go. Jorge Benguche. A little. Not, not so much of a problem with this defending, but a little bit. Jonathan David's an elite striker. He's my number one. You know that. 3-1, minute. One more for Canada. Ayuakinola. Jonathan Osorio. 4-1. Yeah, I know we talk a lot about Kyle Lahren, Jonathan David, Alfonso Davies, John Herman, as we all should. But Jonathan Osorio, like, God, somebody's got to really, really do a special on that guy. Mm. All right, so Canada wins the group. Meanwhile, Group B, Panama, they'd win the group with a win or a draw. Costa Rica at home having to win. First half, chance for the Ticos, Josimar Alcocer. Can't convert. Scoreless. 77th minute. Joel Barcenas of Mazatlan, the assist. Jose Fajardo, 1-0 Panama. I mean, it's a really good ball driven in right there, but the finish is sublime. Costa Rica, you're at home. Panama wins 1-0. They take Group B. So here's what the CONCACAF Nations League bracket looks like. The semifinals are set. We get the U.S against Mexico, Canada, against Panama. Both games to be played June 15th in Las Vegas. No surprise, USA-Mexico will be the nightcap that evening. Let's focus in on that nightcap. Mexico-United States semifinals June 15th. Herc, who's the favorite? Out of those four? Are we doing this already? Who is it? Out of USA-Mexico oh. in the semifinal, who's the favorite? Oh, um... I'll give you your moment to, to shower Canada with flowers. Don't worry. Ooh, I have to say right now, I would go with Mexico. The way that both programs are what? right now. Yeah. All right, you got to explain that. Go ahead. Go ahead. I will explain it. I know it's tough to explain. Uh, th where is Mexico best? They're, they're best away from the Estadio Azteca to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> this will be in Las Vegas. It's going to be a very pro-Mexican national team crowd. This is still a Mexican national team that you can say whatever you want about it, but has the potential to really hurt you. They've got some very good players versus a team. And listen, neither team convinced you, but there's no direction in the U.S. men's national team. You saw how they played against El Salvador, one of the worst 45 minutes of football that we've seen. There's no sporting director. There's no head coach today. We don't know what that's going to look like. 
Tyler Adams just had season-ending surgery on his hamstring. He may not even be available for that game. So the most influential player that they had at the World Cup may not be even available for that semifinal. I, right now on paper, I think the odds makers would put Mexico's favorites. Wow. I have to come back into the screen because I had to walk off to get the prop here because Hercules Gomez. That's bad luck. Now I'm going to pick Hercules the U.S. Hercules Gomez right now. I'm now I'm going to pick the U.S. You just gave him bad luck. Sacando el paraguas, taking out the umbrella. Nobody the can, he, nobody can hear you team. because you didn't have the umbrella handy. There you go. Now you're taking so out we the, got mic. the We got the umbrella out for the All U.S. Right, so who are favorites? Team. I mean, it's U.S. are not big favorites, but they're clear favorites here, right? They're clear favorites. I don't know. What, am I, what do you want to base it off of? You want to base it off the last window? The U.S. looked better. Say whatever you want about 45 Did minutes they? against El Salvador. Mexico at home could not beat Jamaica. They couldn't get the win. They needed to avoid the U.S in the semifinals, and on top of that, they struggled against Suriname. Remember what the U.S. did to Grenada? Two totally different games. So if you want to go off the last window, Mexico's not the better team. If you want to go off the World Cup, Mexico's not the better team. If you want to go off the matchups in World Cup qualifying, Mexico's not the better team. If you want to go off this event two years ago, Mexico's not the better team. And the only thing you're relying on here is atmosphere, which, by the way, according to you, a U.S. C team in Las Vegas already proved that they could beat Mexico's A team. How can you possibly say her? Let me that ask Mexico you a question. Let me ask honestly, you a question. How many honestly. games, how many games were the US outplayed by Mexico in the four that they stay undefeated in? Just, outplayed. Just listen, just First listen. Of all, just subjective. listen. Answer the question. You know the you know the Three, game of football. Four. Does it matter? It does matter. They, they didn't win it them. Does they didn't matter. win them. We're talking about Three. winning. Now they won't have the most influential player that they had in mm. the World Cup, and they won't even—we don't even know who the coach is going to be, or if they will have a coach okay. by then. Honestly, right now it's very even. It's a 50-50. This is how I feel about okay. it. But if I hadn't given edge to one team, I give it to Mexico for that—that that very reason. They're a better team away from Estadio Azteca, as far away as they can get from Estadio Azteca. They're better. Okay, I'm not going to disagree with that. Uh, we have a segment of Book It with Derek Ray coming up, but let me ask you this: Are you willing to bet? that you believe Mexico will be favorites. So if Mexico are the favorites, I'll give you $100. You willing to take that bet? Not that confident, huh? No, 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 He's no, not no, that no, no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. The Vegas, the Vegas odds makers you're saying will make, it, uh, will make them a favorite? I think the U.S. will be the favorite, according to the odds makers. I'm willing to put 100 bucks on it. Ooh, that's a good one. Take it, take it, take the bet. There it is. Producer Beto, put it in the bet book. That's official, like you know all what? the other bets that I've won here on Football Americas. Pay me my bet first, and then we'll make it. Okay, okay. Can we acknowledge that if you're saying one team's a favorite or the other, we're talking about like 51-49 here? Like that's what we're really talking about because that's how, honestly, that's how bad I think both are at the moment. Honestly. I said, I said U.S. clear favorite, not big favorite. Clear but not a huge gap between the teams. Uh, let me ask you Give this, Give me a percentage, sir. then, on that clear favoritism. That's all I'm going to ask, because uh, I think we're splitting hairs, but go ahead. Yeah, I'll give you 60-40 U.S. over Mexico, which I think is about as good as the U.S. is going to get in a game against Mexico. That's fair, fair. That's fair. Okay. Between the two teams, who do you suppose is under more pressure in this game? Mexico, without a doubt. You, you have already mentioned why the U.S. won't be under pressure. I mean, they, they lost... You mentioned it. You're the one that took out the umbrella. No, no, no. You mentioned why the U.S. was, right? So you've already mentioned that the U.S. has not lost in four games. They've beaten them in two finals. They have more credit in their favor. And quite frankly, when we talk about pressure, it's cultural. And I've spoken about the cultural pressure that the Mexican national team lives under. They tied against Jamaica and they were booed off the field. A player who would play five World Cups for them was booed every time he touched the ball. The head coach has had two games and he's, he's already on the hot seat. It's a different type of pressure, but pressure nonetheless. And how much pressure can you put on the U.S. when they've not lost in four yeah. against Mexico? Yeah. I mean, I think everything, it's, they, they have everything to, to win, nothing to lose here. Yeah. I, there's, you can always, I think, say that the default is Mexico's under more pressure than the U.S. because of the fans, because of the but, media. But that's not uh, just the default. Yeah, that's the reality. That's the reality of what it is. And I think when you when you factor in the fact that Mexico is coming off a terrible World Cup and the U.S. isn't, um, there's more pressure there. Do you think there's enough pressure, Herc, that if Mexico loses to the U.S., let me throw a score out there, three nothing or worse, Diego Coca's in in danger of losing his job, like two games in, three games in. 
Seb, I think there's enough pressure on Diego Coca where if he plays an MLS combine team in that April 19th game, the (laughs) intercontinental uh, final that they're calling it or whatever it Mm -hmm. is, the continental final, if he loses that game by a bad scoreline, he gone. He's out. He won't get to the Nations League. Wow. All right. So then it is different levels of pressure. What about the U.S.? It's not to say that there's not pressure on the U.S., right? This is a game against Mexico. And by the way, it's this Mexico, Herc, right? Which eyeball test tells you it's one of the worst Mexican teams in years. And just factually what we witnessed at the World Cup, it is one of the worst Mexican teams in decades. The U.S. has a chance to really establish regional supremacy or at least rivalry supremacy here over Mexico You can't let that chance slip. There's some pressure on the U.S. for all the other things you talk about. I don't think I would describe this as a free roll for the U.S. men's national team. Yeah, but pressure for who? That's the thing. Because we mentioned the pressure and we immediately went to Diego Coca. Pressure for who? And this is where it shows how dysfunctional things are at the moment. Who are you going to place blame on? I mean, who are you going to go after? Cindy (laughs) Parlacone? That's a reality here. There's no sporting directors. There's no head coach. It's dysfunctional. But where's the pressure going to lie, Seb? You know, yeah. let's say it's still Anthony Hudson in that very moment. Who's the pressure on? I suggest the players. I suggest the players because just as quickly as the U.S. grabbed a hole of what are you do, fire all the players two, two years ago, it can shift right back around. No, but they don't want to lose the edge that they have right Who now over Mexico. Who wants to lose, Seb? But, what, but this is what I'm getting at. Mexico. It's always on the players, right? It's always the players, it's the coach, but there's actual repercussions for when those players, that coach, when they don't perform. It's the mm-hmm. sporting director, he's gone. It's the president of the federation, he's gone. There's no pressure on the U.S. side when it comes to that. Who are you going to blame? I'm going to blame you, Herc. You know, one team that we haven't talked about mm-hmm. yet, or at least talked enough about, Canada, but that's okay because they're talking about themselves. Here's Kyle Laren on the new pecking order in CONCACAF. Let's listen in. How big is this for the program, Kyle, to get another shot at playing the big boys in CONCACAF? No, it's very, very important. Uh, I know the last two times we played Honduras, we tied here uh, and then we lost always. But it was important to win this game and show um, we're at a different level than, than these guys. And now it's time to go to play with the... I mean, we're the big boys. We're going to go play against the guys and and do what we did in the qualifying. We are the big boys now. What do you think, Kirk? Are Canada the giants of CONCACAF? No, it's very easy if you're going on paper, right? Recent history, because we're not going to go the overall history and say, we're not going to go Chivas style and say, because of the history, you are this team. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to be honest and real here, okay? That's the producer Beto right now. I'm sorry. I apologize for the the hit right there. on paper, the U.S. is the team that's actually won the last two trophies up for grabs in CONCACAF. They're actually the only team in CONCACAF that made it out of the group phase in the World Cup. On paper, it's the U.S. right now. They would be considered kings because they've played the, for the trophies and won the trophies very easily. But let me make a, a case for why you should be very careful and very weary about Canada. Uh, our Canadian friends, and I know people are going to be like, wait, 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 the second worst team in the World Cup? That's really who you want to advocate for right now in this moment? Yes. Take a look at that group. It's not even arguable. It's the hardest group at that World Cup, one of the hardest groups mm-hmm. in World Cup history. Out of that group, okay, two semifinalists, two semifinalists, Morocco and Croatia. Croatia was a runner-up the World Cup before. Out of that group, by the way, also, one of the top three teams ranked in FIFA heading into the World Cup and the golden generation of Belgium. That team, by the way, also, they won World Cup qualifying. And you know how they did it? Becoming the first team in CONCACAF history to take points away, home and away, undefeated, versus the U.S. men's national team and Mexico. The only team in CONCACAF to do that in its history. Right now, today, on paper, yes, you could say it's the U.S. You could say Mexico's in a bad moment, whatever you want, okay? Be very careful with Canada. If I was a betting man, and you know I am, today, today, I bet Canada and Nations League. Mmm, okay. So they're your favorite overall. But you're saying they're the best team in CONCACAF because of who they drew in the World Cup. Uh, One note, on your CONCACAF World Cup qualifying victory, uh, they were the best team on goal difference. All right, let's put it in some perspective. I know they want to celebrate the title. I know you want to celebrate the title. There's no title there. That's not a title. I agree with you. There is something about Canadian soccer, and I don't know which line it falls on, because remember we've talked about this before, the Canadian men's national team Twitter account 
is very proud of their supposed three championships of CONCACAF, right? They, they have their, their, the years Ooh, that they were the kings steady. of CONCACAF, okay? Ooh. 1985, I guess they're referring to qualifying for the 86 World Cup when Mexico was already in as the host, okay? Asterisk. 2000 Gold Cup, great run, great run. No asterisk there, continental title. And then they put 2020, which I guess is, again, a reference to World Cup qualifying where you don't get a trophy. Canada wants to be the big boy. I think it's fair to say they're among the big boys, her, but they're not the big boy yet. But this is more of what Gold we saw. Gold medal as well in soccer. In women's soccer. Yes, of no, course. No, 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 men's soccer. Gold medal for what? The Olympic Games. Yeah, it's like in the early 1900s, in 1926, okay. 30, if not. Okay. Thank you for the uh, Canadian soccer history lesson. Oh, but this is right. what we saw from them at the World Cup, right? There's kind of a, I don't want to say arrogance, I'll say brashness from this Canadian team that seems to spark with their manager, Herdman. Um, is this crossing that line or is, it, or is it on the right side of the confidence versus overconfidence line for you from Laren? I don't think Laren said in a way you were where it's less You were humility. very critical of Herdman at the World Cup, yes, right? Yes, I was. Yes, I was. And I still am. Uh, I don't think it's lacking humility of Laren in the way he said it. I think it may be taken out of context a bit. I think he's trying to say, hey, we need to be respected as well. Let me just ask you a question, okay? Mm -hmm. Best nine in CONCACAF at the moment is? It's Laren, Jonathan, David. Okay. You can take your pick between the two of them. Okay. Uh, best player in CONCACAF at the moment is? Alfonso Davies. Best coach in CONCACAF at the moment is? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, you can make a very good case for, for Herdman. Okay. Good team. Hey, they're going to have two chances to prove it. Nations League and, uh, and Gold Cup. And you heard from Hercules Gomez. I don't know what the futures are on Canada and the Nations League, but that's where Herc says you should put oh. your money. Thanks All right, for that from one, number Mexico. nines that score a lot, Herc, to a number nine that, uh, well, it doesn't score a lot. Raul Jimenez, who's celebrating a sad anniversary today. 365 days it's been since Jimenez last scored for Mexico. He scored against El Salvador in a 2-0 World Cup qualifying win at Azteca on March 30th, 2022. No Premier League goals for Wolves this season in 13 appearances. He did score three times in the League Cup. Again, this is the player that had 27 goals across all comps for Wolves in the 2019-2020 season. One year, zero goals. Hercules Gomez, something, nothing, or everything for Raul Jimenez. This is everything not only for Raul Jimenez and people need to acknowledge that Raul Jimenez is no longer the same Raul Jimenez of those years you just mentioned, that 2019 season. Since November 2020, when we all know he had that unfortunate clash of heads with David Luis, an incident that almost took his life, he's not been the same player. It's okay to recognize that. What's not okay is to keep calling him in when he will be 34 years of age at the next World Cup. He's not better than Santi right now, Santi Jimenez, who's, by the way, only 21 years old. He's not better than Henry Martin, who's 30 years old right now. He's not better than Funes Mori, who's 31, who's his age right now. That's a reality. Stop calling him in. Call in anybody else, a younger player, somebody you think maybe down the line can do something. But to call in Raul Jimenez right now is exactly why people, why fans are booing, why they're upset. Raul Jimenez was a great player and it happens to every single player. And it's one of those sad cases that we can mention players mm -hmm. maybe at no fault of their own, had an injury or something outside of the sports and it cost them their future within their pecking order or their actual uh, sport. He's not the first, won't be the last, but you need to recognize that those Raul Jimenez years are gone. Yeah. Time to move on. For L3, for Raul Jimenez as well, I think at the club level, right? I think he's got to get a move out of Wolves. Maybe he can find another situation. But the bottom line, Herc, is you're not going to have him back in the national team until he starts scoring goals again. To your point, I want to see Henry Martin. I want to see Santi Jimenez. I don't want the opportunity that those guys need, right, to build to create chemistry with guys like Chucky Lozano or Belín Pineda. I don't want those minutes to go to Raul Jimenez. So I think it's, it's time to move on. At some point, you got to, as you say, accept he's no longer the player that he was. And I think Diego Coca seems to have held out some hope. I hope he doesn't go down the path of Tata Martino, who really, truly, even when everything told us that beyond the head injury, 
Remember, he had an injury going into the World Cup in in a in the midsection. Remember? Yeah. We did. knew this player was not going to be fit, and everybody held out hope. And at some point, you got to say um, he's not the guy he used your, to be. Your lasting memory of him will be the bicycle kick versus Panama that hey. ultimately got him into the World Cup or got him in position to fight yep. for that World Cup playoff. That was almost a decade ago. Yep. Without that goal, Mexico's not at the uh, 2014 World Cup. In Brazil, uh, Raul Jimenez did not do much, Herc, against Jamaica. I don't know if you saw at the end of the broadcast. He did swap jerseys, which is a perfect transition to jersey swap or not. All right, so everybody wants some messages. Everybody. Apparently, Herc, this includes Curacao's players who had a showdown against Argentina and Lionel Messi the other night. Let's hear what they had to say before the game. I have a good message for Messi. We have 30 players or more. Please fix three, 30 players, one shirt, because otherwise if you give one shirt, you're going to fight inside. Just one shirt for 20 players? No, no it's not, not good, not good. No. 30, because we have a lot of okay. players. 30 shirts for 20, 23. So Herc, who ends up getting the Messi shirt? Herc. Our buddy, Eloy Room, who of course plays for uh, Columbus Crew and MLS. How about that? As a goalkeeper, come on. Honestly, non-goalies. I'm not big <laughs> on the jersey swap when it comes to like somebody like Messi or Adinho. Like, come on, but this is pretty cool. It's a farewell tour, if you will. So good on him. Let's hear from Eloy, who got the desired jersey after the game. Yeah, that was natuurlijk wel the vraag van ja, wie gaat het shirt krijgen? And iedereen iedereen wou het shirt hebben natuurlijk. And eerst instantie wou ik het ook wel halen. Ik meestal eigenlijk met de keeper weet je heeft Messi het aan mij gegeven. Nee, ze zijn gewoon blij van mij. En uiteindelijk wil iedereen dat shirt wel hebben. Maar ja, uiteindelijk is het zo gelopen dat ik hem heb. Maar uh, de meeste jongens hebben ook andere shirts ge, uh, geregeld. Dus uh, shirts uh, van spelers. En ook met name uh, vaak jongens die je kent. Of uh, Nederlanders waar je tegen speelt. Of uh, weet je wel, speciale shirts. Dus ik heb er wel heel veel. Maar dit is wel echt mijn, uh, ja, mijn belangrijkste. En ik heb ook nooit echt een shirt ingelijst. Volgens mij misschien alleen maar mijn debuutshirt. Maar dit, uh, dit shirt ga ik wel... Uh, Ja, dat shit ga ik wel even inlijzen natuurlijk, want dat is wel echt een, uh, een shit die uh, speciaal is. Herc, are you going to continue your anti-goalie ways here and say that Messi shouldn't have swapped with Eloy Room? No, uh, Eli shouldn't have swapped with Messi. Messi can do whatever he wants. Mm -hmm. Eli Room shouldn't have swapped with Messi. Um, I wonder if... Uh, they fought him for it. You know what happens when you fight, or when you fight, when you swap How does that stuff get decided in the in the dressing room? I'm sure there's... It doesn't. Listen, just really quickly what happens, okay? I'm, I'm sure it's all jokes, nothing. But when you trade for a jersey, what you do is you go to the locker room and you throw it with the rest of the kits and they get washed. I guarantee you at no point mm. did that jersey leave his presence. Yeah. That jersey he was waving around in that room right there is still dirty, it's still stinky. He's never washing that. No way. You say he doesn't trust his teammates. Is that how you were with your teammates, sir? Jeez. Absolutely. On. All right. Uh, do you know where Ila Room started his professional career, Her The Eredivisie. Ooh. Uh, Vitesse, actually. Uh, right now in the table, Santa Jimenez is Feyenoord in first, Ajax second, Feyenoord with a six-point lead. Both those teams in action on Sunday, exclusively on ESPN+. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. 
Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. The two best-followed clubs here in Germany in a fixture that strikes a resonant chord around the world. Goretzka! Perfectly done! Now, Zane, and it was hit with ferocity, it's gone in! Come to swivel and turn, and is this the moment? It certainly is for Yusufa Mokoko! Over it comes, and Modeste is there for Dortmund! Aye, aye, aye! Our next guest here on Football America is our good friend and colleague, Derek Rabe. The globe-trotting Derek Rabe. Derek, where are you joining us from today? I'm in the great city of Cologne, my second home today, Sebi. All right, all right. Someday we'll have to get the, uh, the Derek Ray Cologne tour. Uh, I'm sure that'll be a, a lot of fun there. Football America is on the road. Huh? There's some ideas already percolating. Uh, so we got you on here because you're going to be calling the big game this weekend. They're a classic, Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund. Uh, and actually, for the first time, Derek, in a long time, they flipped the script at the top of the table right now. Uh, Dortmund with the lead. Is this the best title race since, I guess, the last time Bayern didn't win it and Dortmund did, which was over a decade ago now? Well, there have been one or two really intriguing title races, Seb. When you think back to 2018, 2019, maybe some people forget that Dortmund actually had a nine-point lead in that particular campaign, and they lost it. But I think the fact that if you look at the sequence of events since the resumption after the World Cup, that was in January, Dortmund have picked up 28 points, Bayern a mere 18. So the tables have been turned. This time, Bayern had the nine-point cushion and Dortmund have managed to forge ahead. Thanks to that remarkable final weekend before the international break, Dortmund thrashed Kern 6-1. And then the following day, Bayern crashed against Leverkusen, having taken the lead. And here we are. It truly is a title race. And I would argue the most intriguing title race of any top league in Europe at the moment. So you and I both from time to time, Derek, will appear on ESPN FC. And our colleague on that show, Janaga Fjortov, always uses the term Hollywood FC or FC Hollywood <laughs> yeah. to describe uh, Bayern Munich. Obviously, we've seen in the last week just incredible turnover there at the managerial position. I think for a lot of people, it was a shock. How different is what we're seeing now to just the usual FC Hollywood of Bayern Munich? Well, this is FC Hollywood and then some. I think Jan is absolutely right. There's always this element of drama, of soap opera, uh, Bayern. And if you look at the column inches in the media devoted to Germany's record champions, then really it speaks for itself. But I'll tell you, last week, I took a few days off thinking that, you know, I want to recharge my batteries for Bayern Dortmund. I want to be ready for it. So I went to Scotland to visit family. And lo and behold, my father... Uh, when I got home from a wonderful night out eating Indian food with my sister, I said, you'll never guess your friend Mr. Nagelsmann has been sacked. And I thought, have you got this right? So I quickly checked, and of course it had just happened, and Thomas Tuchel coming in. Uh, nobody saw this coming at all. Nobody. If anybody says they knew this was going to happen two or three days before it did, uh, they're being economical with the truth. Uh, it, it really was down to a few different factors. I think sometimes it can be that. It can, it can be uh, an accumulation of things that happen at a club. The last straw was what happened against Leverkusen in that game. Hasan Zarihamidzic, the sporting director, and Oliver Kahn, the CEO, were less than pleased. But there had been other issues sort of bubbling under the surface. But it's a really bold step. It's an expensive step as well. I mean, this is costing Bayern a lot of money when you consider that, all told, they paid 25 million euro to Leipzig to get Nagelsmann in the first place. And Tuchel is not cheap either, rumored to be on around 12 million euro a year. So you get the picture. This is a gamble because Bayern are fearful that they're not going to meet their season targets. Derek, I want to drill down on a couple of guys that are of particular interest to our audience. I think Alfonso Davies, when you talk about guys in CONCACAF, he's right at the top of the list, so we might as well start there. When Bayern brings in Joao Cancelo, 
I'm thinking yeah. this could be a challenge for Alfonso Davies. This isn't a guy who's considered one of the best left backs in the world. And yet, if you look at the at the playing time since, he hasn't really moved Davies at all from that position. I mean, Alfonso Davies, we're kind of running out of things to say about him, but he is really world-class. And I feel like in, in the last few months with Cancelo right there, he's proven it. I think so. I mean, I think Cancelo coming in, many of us thought, yeah, he'll play on the right, he'll play on the left. He'll give Davies a break from time to time, but Davies remains very much the incumbent. What I would say is I think there has been a slight, I'm, I'm really you know using the word slight here, a slight form dip where Davies is concerned. It's all relative. I mean, he's a very good player. Uh, it's natural that players are going to just drop off a little bit. And I think he has done in certain games, but you're right. He still has been the player of choice on that left-hand side, and he still can do things that most other players are not capable of doing. Um, as I say, Cancelo's interesting because I think the expectation was you're going to bring him in and he's going to play an awful lot, but hasn't really fired so far. Uh, but yeah, Davies will start this game. I'm sure of that on Saturday against Dortmund. And I'm sure Thomas Tucher is very much looking forward to working with the Canadian. Yeah, Davies... Usually a lock to be in the starting lineup for Gio yeah. Reyna on the other side of this game. Not so much. Obviously, there was so much drama around this player uh, after the World Cup. We focused a lot on that drama and yeah. the narrative around the player. How significant were those talks in Germany? Did, did people pay attention to that storyline when Gio Reyna returned from the World Cup? I think people were shocked to hear what had happened, but it would be wrong to say that it was ever the dominant Dortmund story. There's a lot going on at Dortmund. It's not quite the soap opera that Bayern is, but it's a close second in German terms. And yeah, it, it made news, but most of my German colleagues uh, who I spoke to about this, and even with the more recent news following what came out of US soccer, there was sort of a shrug of the shoulders as if to say, oh, that, that's just strange. You know, we've never really heard of, of a case like this in German football. But Gio Reyna has not been front and centre in terms of a story here in Germany. So it's not like with American fans who often ask me what's happening with Reyna, why isn't he playing? Uh, you know, it's unfair. There's nobody really who's a Dortmund fan here in Germany who's saying, oh, it's very unfair on, on Reyna that he's not getting a game because the fact of the matter is others have performed better and he didn't take his chance, Seb. You know, if you look back at what happened when he was a substitute and we covered the game uh, in Dortmund against Augsburg when he scored that dramatic winner and then did it against Mainz, he was then handed a start against Werder Bremen. And with a big club like Dortmund, you do have to capitalise on your opportunities. And he got very low marks for that start and hasn't been back, you know, as a starter. He has featured as a substitute a couple of times recently, but I think he's fallen down the pecking order a bit. Mm. And the bad news for him is that many of the players who've been injured for Dortmund are expected back, if not this weekend, then in the very near future. But, you know, my view on this, and it's just my view, you know, I, I don't know if you and, and Herrick agree. My view is that as a young footballer, you do have to earn your stripes and you have to go through periods of adversity. You don't just get a game for a team like Dortmund because you're there. You know, Gio Reyna is a good, talented player, but there are other really good, talented players who represent his competition. And I hope that in the grand scheme of things, this proves to be a learning experience for him. It's interesting. You, you point that out. And I'm looking here at, at Dortmund's lineup and the guys that play his position. I mean, they're just incredibly deep yeah. there. Is there any sense, and I think he's got a contract through, through 2025, um, is there any sense that maybe Dortmund isn't the place for Gio Reyna anymore? Like, if I'm thinking about it from a fan perspective, I've heard a lot about Gio Reyna's talent. I want to start to yeah. see it. I'd love to see him score 20, 30 goals in the era divisie, um, as opposed to seeing him not just not play, but really be buried right now, it feels like, at Dortmund. I think the difficulty for him is, and again, this is just my opinion, his best position is central rather than wide. Now, there is competition in the central area. There's also competition in the wider positions. And, you know, you have younger players coming through younger than, than Reyna, somebody like Jamie Bino-Gittens, who's actually been preferred to Reyna in some of the matches recently. You have Julian Brandt, who's absolutely been on fire, playing perhaps the best football of his career before his injury. You have Karim Adeyemi, one of the best young German players who's also been injured but uh, perhaps with a chance to come back and you have Marco Reus the club captain legend whose contract is up we wondered if perhaps 
this might be his last season in Dortmund, but what I'm hearing is probably not. He's probably going to remain with the club. So this is going to be an ongoing challenge for Gio Reyna. And that's why I said earlier, you know, you do have to really have that killer instinct as a starter when you get the start. And against Werder Bremen, he was so disappointing. I know American fans don't like hearing that, you know, because uh, <laughs> and sometimes sometimes I feel as though they're blaming me for relaying that message. But mm-hmm. I try to be mm-hmm. honest, and, and I have been honest about Reyna. When he's played well, I've said he's played brilliantly. When he hasn't, then I think it's fair to, to make that point as well. And the fact of the matter is he's down the list right now. Yeah, I follow you on Twitter, Derek. I, I see some of the comments that uh, that come your way. All, all, all part of a day's work, I guess, when you're dealing with yeah. that. with all USMNT Twitter specifically. All right, so I know yes. even with all your world travels, uh, you never miss an episode of Football America. So you're well yeah. aware of our segment, uh, Book It. We're kind of looking at what the odds makers uh, are doing and see if we can pick any winners for our for our most faithful viewers. So. Obviously, this game is massive. It's going to be on ABC. We're yeah. going to have a lot of neutrals uh, watching. So, so let's make it interesting for the folks at home. When I think of a classic, I kind of have yeah. two rules. I think teams are going to usually in those games be a little bit more close, almost like a final. So I, I like to look at the under, but then when I think of Bundesliga, Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, the history between these two teams, the talent on the field, I start to think about the over. So, so help me there. What kind of game do you think that we get Um, When these two square off, will it be goals galore or something else? Well, normally I would say goals galore. I just wonder with Thomas Tucher coming in, Tucher to me is the ultimate pragmatist as coaches Mm. go. You know, he will adapt to the players he has rather than coming in and and imposing his will. It's funny, people who followed him at Chelsea probably see him as quite a defensive obdurate coach. In Germany, not so much with Mainz and with Dortmund. Um, But I do think that first and foremost, he'll want to shore things up after what Mm. happened against Leverkusen. So had it been Nagelsmann uh, against Edin Terzic, I might have said 2-2 or or 3-2 or something like that. I I see this being a, a scoring draw, but maybe not um, a game that's rich in goals. I wouldn't wow. be shocked if it's 1-1. That's kind of what I've got in my head, which I think Dortmund fans will be quite happy about. Neutrals would probably be happy about it as well. And I've got in my head Marco Reus scoring for Dortmund, and I've got in my head Eric Maxim Schupomoting scoring for Bayern. Assuming he comes back from injury, he's had back problems. Okay, so I'm looking at the odds here. It's interesting. The odds makers think there are going to be goals, so the value really yeah. here is on the under under two and a half, Derek, at plus 230, even under three and a half goals at minus 105. So, I mean, there seems to be a, a, some good value there. Give me your goal scores again, because I want to I want to listen yeah. to them as I take a look at the at the goal at the goals here. Who do you who do you got? OK, scoring? I'm I'm going to give you Marco Royce to open okay. the scoring for Dortmund to open the scoring. OK, to open the scoring. I'll give you that as well. Yeah, I think okay. they, they're going to open the scoring and I'm going to go for Eric Maxim Choupo-Moting the centre-forward for Bayern to level the game, and I'll say it will finish 1-1. Famous last wow. words. Wow. <laughs> okay, so Chupa Moteng, anytime score, plus 115. Plus 850, Derek Ray. Mm. Okay. Uh, look at swinging for the fences here on Football Americas. <laughs> you will hear his voice on the call of Der Klassiker, Bayern Munich against Borussia Dortmund for the top spot in the Bundesliga this weekend on ABC. Derek, great to have you with us on Football Americas. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks for having me, Seb, as always. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, Liga Mekis, Turk back in action. Querétaro taking on Cruz Azul. Pick this one up in the first half. Querétaro with a chance. And they're going to score. Oh, no. But, but, 
Wait a second. VAR overturns the goal. Omar Mendoza offside. So still 0-0. There's Tuca Ferretti. All smiles. Psych. 42nd minute. <laughs> this might make him smile. Alonso Escobosa makes it 1-0. Escobosa again. He did it last time, coming off the bench this time, gets a start. Another close range finish, 1-0. 57th minute. Rafael Fernandez with a shot and Querétaro ties it up. Uh, that's an assist right there, right? I, I, I'm, I'm claiming that as an assist. Oh, is there a touch right there? 2-1 here. In the 85th minute, Miguel Barbieri. Yeah, Gil Alcalá celebrating that. Chuy Corona can only watch it go by. Don't worry, Cruz Azul. They've got a anti-Cruz Azuliada here. The late goal, 89th minute to make it 2-2, Herc. The anti-Cruz Azuliada? No, you can't say that. Come on, have no? some respect. Augusto Lotti there with the uh, late goal. All right, so we're, what, five games into Tuca Ferretti's tenure with Cruz Azul. They sit eighth right now in the Liga Mekis table. Herc, you impressed so far? Um, yes and no. Am I impressed with the results? <laughs> Pick one, brother. Yes. Pick one. Well, let me tell you why yes or no. Because this is Tuca Ferretti, and many people confuse Tuca in terms of getting results. Like, he's a big manager, he's won championships, as being spectacular. He's not spectacular, per se, with his teams historically. But he grinds out results. I'm looking at a team that's in eighth place right now. I mean... Eighth place. There are only two wins behind Leon, who sit in second place. A team that the last since Tuca took over has gotten seven of 12 points available to them. And also won both legs, or both games, excuse me, at home. This team really needs a nine, though. They've only scored 15 goals all season. By the way, Santi Jimenez, their leading goal scorer from last season, he scored 15 goals already this year in Europe. It's crazy to me that we're asking about Tuca Ferretti and if this team looks any better, da 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 uh, They've got five games to go, okay? Or I'm sorry, mm -hmm. they've been with Tuca for five games. Let me rephrase that. They've been without El Potro Gutierrez for five games, okay? They let go of El Potro Gutierrez. Mm -hmm. That was five games ago. Since then, they've taken 16 from 21 available points. 16 points. This team under Tuca is doing exactly what I thought they would do under Tuca. Steady the ship, grind out results, and by no means being spectacular. So, yes, because of the points. No, because I just told you they've only got 15 goals all season. They're not a spectacular team. They're winning it the way Tuca usually wins. Anybody who was expecting to be impressed didn't even hear Tuca Ferretti's like first interviews as the new manager of Cruz Azul. He's like, I'm not a magician. He he was pretty quick to take out his own paraguas and kind of tell everybody, hey, He's doing relax. Magic, though. I I'm, I'm here at Cruz Azul, but, you know, we're not necessarily going to win a title. The, the last three games, they've taken seven points, Herc, but it's come against Querétaro, San Luis, Pumas. All teams that are not just outside the top 12, but very far outside the top 12. The run-in will tell us how good Tuca Ferretti is as a manager. Pachuca, León, América, Chivas, Santos. That's the last five uh, for Cruz Azul there. So uh, very, very interesting. We'll see what Tuca Ferretti and Cruz Azul can do in the run-in on the Liga Mekis season. All right, let's uh, talk Pumas here, Herc, because they have a new manager. That's right, Turco Mohamed. But he's not exactly going to jump right into the fire. No, they play Querétaro on Sunday, but Turco Mohamed not going to be there. Why? Herc, because he's got a birthday. Apparently already agreed to with the executives at Pumas that he could take this time so he's going to celebrate his 53rd birthday and won't be uh, at Pumas game on Sunday against Querétaro. Herc, are you cool with it? I'm cool. Let me explain why. So this story went viral very quickly. What do you mean? This is, this is a joke. How's he not going to be there? He's going to be celebrating a birthday. If you know Antonio El Turco Mohamed's story, um, you know that in 2006, he and his son, and actually he and his family, while they were in a caravan traveling to Frankfurt during the World Cup in 2006 in Germany, were involved in a fatal car crash. His son, Farid, actually nine-year-old son, passed away. Um, they happened to share a similar birthday, and this coming weekend will be the birthday of his son who, who passed away in that accident. Mm. He informed the club that he would not commit to that game, but he would sign with them with that intention of them knowing he wouldn't be there for that game. Listen, some some things trump sports, some things trump mm -hmm. the game of football. 
I'm okay with this, especially being a predisclosed, excused absence on his part. Um, it's been made much more of a story uh, than than it should be, and if you actually know the the real truth behind it, so I'm okay with it. Yeah, yeah, sounds like uh, it's a very important weekend, obviously, for Turco Mohamed if he's taking a job and is willing to push it back in the middle of the season. You can understand if Pumas is cool with it. Uh, I don't know who we would be to to say that we're we're not cool with it. Pumas do need the help, though. You know, right now, I'll mention it, way outside the top 12, 16th right now in the Mexican League. They got Querétaro on Sunday. San Luis after that, Toluca, America, and Rayados. I mean, that's a really, really tough run in for Pumas, isn't it, Her? Yeah, but they're one point away from Repechaje. And that's the thing when you look at the standings in, in Liga MX. He's like, anything can change if you string along two wins, especially with five games left. Still up plenty to play for, so Pumas can still be okay. But they hired him not for the immediate. This is a long-term commitment with uh, El Turco Mohamed. Scarlett Gamberos signs for Angel City FC, finalizing her move from Liga Mekis Femenil to NWSL. Gamberos agreeing to a two-year deal. The Mexican international, born and raised in San Diego, played college ball at UC Irvine. She's just 22 years old, tallied 18 goals in 41 total appearances for Club America over the last two seasons in making the move to the NWSL. She should help Angel City's attack. And they could use it. Of course, uh, you'll remember Angel City lost 2-1 in their opener against Gotham. Their lone goal coming from none other than the Phenom herself, Alyssa Thompson. Here's more on Angel City's rising star. I remember we were like first starting with our dad in the backyard and he would just set up drills and cones and we had no idea what we were doing. We were like in our pajamas or like random clothes, just like having a fun time. The fun quickly turned into an after-school activity and potential career path for Alyssa. Backyard drills were replaced by competitive club practices and U.S. soccer youth teams. The soccer world started to take notice of Alyssa's talents. Yeah! Like middle school, when I first started getting called up to the like U.S. soccer youth teams, uh, that's when I that's when I felt like, oh, I, I, this is, I'm actually good at this. At age 17, Alyssa made her U.S. Women's National Team debut. She replaced Megan Rapinoe at the 83rd minute against England. Three months later, Alyssa made history as the first high schooler to be drafted first overall in the National Women's Soccer League draft to Angel City Football Club. Angel City SC select Alyssa Thompson. On March 8, 2023, Alyssa showed off her talent when she scored in the fifth minute in her unofficial professional debut. Goes past the goalkeeper and puts it in the back of the net! Welcome to NWSL! All eyes are on Alyssa, but the professional soccer player is still a high school senior. And in between soccer obligations and PR opportunities, she still wants to be a teenager who spends time with her family, friends, and maybe even attends prom. It's hard and uh, it's not going to be perfect, but it's kind of like getting the best of both worlds and being able to still be with my friends and still kind of experience some high school things is really helpful and just trying to stay like feel a little bit normal in this new life that I am embarking on. Alyssa Thompson taking the NWSL by storm and joining us now, Charlotte Gibson. She produced the piece that you just watched and actually has a great full-length feature on Alyssa Thompson available over at ESPN.com. Charlotte, great to have you with us here on Football Americas. First things first, producer Beto tells me that you had full access to Alyssa Thompson. Tell us, what does full access mean? Full access means exactly what you can imagine. Full access. So I actually got assigned the Alyssa Thompson story back in October, November. And we originally thought it was going to be about her being a forward and maybe competing for that spot on the U.S. Women's National Team. Then I contacted her team. I contacted her parents. And it quickly turned into Alyssa Thompson is going to be the number one draft pick in the NWSL. And do you want to tell her profile, her big feature story? And I said, absolutely but only if we can have exclusive rights to it. And I want to do it big. And that means being in those really personal 
familial moments, being at her senior night at Harvard Westlake, you know, hanging out with her family, eating dinner, um, just bouncing the ball around, dribbling in the backyard, going on those family walks. I wanted to be there for all of it. And I was there for as much of it as I could be. Um, for me, it was so important to really tell the narrative of who Alyssa Thompson is, mm. not just the soccer player, but the 18-year-old. And I think with All Access, I was able to do that. Um, and I think you can kind of see she's an 18-year-old who likes Drake and thinks about going <laughs> to her prom, but she also has this unbelievable talent, and that's what the story is all about. So, Charlotte, she's not the, the first kind of teen phenom that we've seen in American soccer. Uh, in the women's game, we've seen Mallory Pugh, who had kind of a very similar rise just a few years ago in the men's game. You know, everybody always brings up the name Freddie Adu. Uh, from what you know, from what you've seen of her, how is she different? Alyssa is different because she has this competitive fierceness and this speed to her, but also just this natural talent. And I think the thing about Alyssa is she is that teenager that, again, wants to go to prom, wants to hang out with her friends, wants to go to the mall. But she's also this unbelievably fast player who knows the game. And when she's on the field, she's there to win. And we've only seen her with Angel City twice so far in a friendly match and then in her professional debut. And already you can see that Alyssa is all around the field and she is ready at all times. Scoring in her 11th minute in her professional debut, I think tells you exactly what you need to know. Alyssa is here to score, she's here to win, and ultimately she's here to change the game for women's soccer. You know, it's great that you bring up the speed of play because usually when you see younger players and they advance into, excuse me, first team football, that's what they struggle with, Seb. That's what they struggle with, Charlotte. So I got her see her against Club America. The speed of play was immediately something that stood out to you. The changing gear, she was just a step faster than everybody. All right. It's a club game. It's versus Club America. Uh, Sebi's a uh, number one team. We'll let it slide. But then 11 minutes of jury de debut, she does it again. So I guess what I'm trying to ask here is, what type of player does Angel City have in their hands? And is it a type of player that they can build around? Angel City has a player who they are definitely going to build around, and she's already becoming a star player. It's funny because I asked Julie Ehrman, co-founder and president of Angel City, early on in my reporting, is Alyssa Thompson your franchise player? Are you trying mm. to make her your franchise player? And I was told no, because they don't want that pressure on her. But the reality is, scoring in the 11th minute in your professional debut, and just being on the billboards all throughout the city, being on merchandise, Alyssa Thompson is already becoming a household name for Angel City. And so for me, it seems pretty obvious that Angel City is going to have her become that star player, that franchise player, and they're definitely going to build around her. It's almost hard not to build around her. She's there, she's going to score, and she's going to make her teammates better. And I remember when, right before she was drafted, that's what it was all about, too. It was, we're going to bring in this 18-year-old to really light that fire in some of maybe our veteran players that they're already competitive, they know the game, but they need that 18-year-old to come in here and go, hey, I'm going to beat you out for these spots. I'm going to get more playing time and look at me go and look at her go. It's unbelievable, really. Charlotte, to be fair, this is not the only teenager that's kind of lighting up the NWSL. People will remember the name Olivia Moultrie. She was yeah. kind of the first Portland. to break through, but we've had Jaden Shaw on this on this show. She had a goal on opening weekend. This is pretty, pretty marked departure, right? A pretty significant change in terms of how the NWSL does business, especially with these younger players. Absolutely. I think the NWSL is in a really interesting point right now. They're coming off of a year of scandal, a year of some hardships. They are in their 11th season, and Alyssa Thompson is 18 years old. It's kind of crazy to think about it, but she is not the youngest player. There are 15-year-olds on the teams, Olivia Moultrie being one of them. We have Chloe Prickett. We have uh, Melanie Barcenas. You know, there are 15-year-olds who are out there playing right now. And, you know, there's Giselle Thompson. We're going to see Giselle before we know it as well. But the thing is, is for me, it seems like Alyssa is almost this guinea pig for mm. how young is too young, what age is the right age, and is it possible for these young athletes to actually go to school to identify as 
a whole human being outside of their sport. We see every other sport kind of go through this, and especially in soccer, we know this is not rare, right? Like having under 18 players go pro is not rare. But in the women's game, especially in America, this is new for us. So, you know, Alyssa Thompson is, in my mind, becoming kind of that guinea pig of can she do it all? Education is really important to her. She wants to go back to school um, or she wants to finish out school. That's crazy to think, right? She's a high school senior. She wants to finish out, graduate, and then she actually wants to pursue an education, a higher degree. And let's see if she'll be able to do it. It's it's kind of in this testing point right now. And same with the 15-year-olds who are on the rosters. Are they going to be able to get those playing minutes? Are they going to be able to make a splash, become franchise players? We're going to see. She wants to do it all. Okay, let's talk U.S. Women's National Team. The roster just mm. dropped for April. Obviously, uh, <laughs> she's a very good player. Didn't make this roster. What are the chances of her actually making the World Cup roster? So I think I go back and forth on this one. I'm going to be totally honest with you guys because after seeing the latest roster, I kind of was hesitant to think, is she going to make it this summer? Then I saw what the coach had to say, and he re informed us this is all about not wanting to put pressure on Alyssa Thompson. Right now, it's all about pressure in Alyssa Thompson. She's just made her professional debut. All eyes are on her. And now with the U.S. Women's National Team roster coming out for the next friendlies, she's not on it. How is she going to land? I don't know. But the coach saying that he is really excited by her and she might be one of the most exciting players he's seen, that gives me hope that I think she's going to be uh, on that roster this summer. I really do. I go back and forth, but today you caught me on a day where I feel like we are going to see Alyssa Thompson on that roster. It's also hard. She is a forward. That is a position where we have it stacked on the U.S. Women's National Team. It is stacked with amazing players. Trinity Rodman. I mean, look, she's going to have to fight for that position, but if she continues to do what we just saw in her professional debut, I think that they're not going to have any other choice but to put Alyssa Thompson on that roster. We know league form matters. Uh, Vlad yeah. Goninovsky will be watching the NWSL to see what those players are doing uh, in the run-up to the World Cup. Let's change gears a little bit here, Charlotte, because Liga Mekis Femenil had some banner news this week off the field. The league is announcing a new partnership with Nike, which will become Liga MX Femenil's exclusive sponsor. First things first, this means a new ball, so uh, no more Voight for the women's game down in Mexico starting next season. The deal will also include increased opportunities for marketing through Nike for Liga MX Femenil players. Um, it's been kind of an up and down week for this league. Of course, another case of Scarlett Camberos, player for Club America, who's come to Angel City. Uh, because of safety concerns. And then we see this big marketing deal off the field. So, Scarlett, where does this leave Liga Mekis Femenil? I think this is huge for Liga, but also for Nike. Nike is showing itself to be a champion of the women's game. They know that women's soccer is growing in Mexico, in America. Obviously, Alyssa Thompson is a Nike athlete, so this all goes hand in hand to what we were just talking about. But I think the biggest part for me is to see that they are going to have developmental um, aspects to this. They want to make sure that this isn't just about sponsoring and giving the team soccer balls. This is about making sure that they have developmental success and that this is long term. Nike is really becoming a champion of the women's game. They have been for a long time, but right now we're really seeing it at the forefront and they are definitely dedicating to pushing the game forward. And for that, I think we, it can only go up, right? And this is a huge, huge deal. Um, and I think making sure it just it's known that Nike is doing this um, and knowing that it's not just, again, it's not just about providing equipment. It's about making sure they have long-term success. I think that's really, really crucial in the women's game. All right, there's you, Charlotte Gibson. Great article on Alyssa Thompson, available right now on ESPN.com. Charlotte, thanks so much for joining us here on Football Americas. A real treat to have you. Thank you. All right, Herc, more from the women's game now. Mexico announcing their latest roster for a couple friendlies in the United States against Chicago Red Stars, Houston Dash. Among those included by new manager Pedro Lopez, Arlen Corral. Long been one of Mexico's best players, but is hardly featured for the national team since 2019. She's in, so are NWSL players Maria Sanchez and Diana Ordonez of Houston, as well as Katie Johnson of Angel City FC. 
No Katy Martinez, Katy Killer of Club America, or Scarlett Camberos, who of course had just made the move to Angel City. Speaking of rosters, the U.S. women dropped theirs on Tuesday. This for the last international window before the World Cup, where the U.S. will face Ireland twice, April 8th in Austin, April 11th in St. Louis. But Goyanovsky calling in 26 players, no name, getting more attention than Julie Ertz, but she's not the only one back from a layoff. Sophia Smith, Tierna Davidson, Kelly O'Hara all back as well. Not included, Megan Rapino, Katerina Macario, or Kristen Press. But as we said, everybody's talking about Julie Ertz. Here's the manager, Vladko Ananovsky. Yes, uh, obviously we're excited to have Julie back. Uh, we know the quality of the player that she's at and uh, that uh, if she comes anywhere near her best, uh, that uh, she will certainly help us uh, win a World Cup. Um, Throughout this uh, process, we were in, co in uh, constant communication with uh, Julie. And like I said in the previous um, press conferences, we wanted to give Julie enough time to, to settle herself uh, uh, and uh, and get back uh, get back on track or get back in the game properly. And be uh, and when she gets back, uh, we want her to be uh, in the best uh, possible stage uh, physically, mentally. Uh, and uh, join us uh, in camp. All right, Herc, here's some comments from Julie Ertz released in a statement via U.S. Soccer. Quote, it's very exciting to be back with the team again, and I'm grateful to have this opportunity. I have to work out details in regards to my club situation, but I am very thankful to Zach, my family, and U.S. Soccer for the amazing support they have provided to get me back to this point. I've been training hard, excited to see where I'm at physically and getting better each day. I'm going into this camp the same way I always have to compete with the best women in the world. Julie Ertz called into the U.S. women's national team, 600-plus days removed from her last competitive match. Herc, are you cool with it? No, not cool with it. I'm not cool with the double discourse here going on by Vlako Andonovsky, where he says one thing and then does another. It was not Vlako Andonovsky that told everybody, the press, his players, and Julie, that first, she needed to get back to her club team. She didn't mm. prove that she was fit, that she was healthy. Play with her club and then earn the opportunity to come back. And now, there it is. There's a conversation that he had, supposedly, with Julie Ertz back in 2022. If I'm a player for Vlako Andonovsky, if I'm an Andy Sullivan, a Christy Mewis, a Lindsey Horan, or you know, anybody else who's played that position, how can I perceive this message? And then on top of that, he says, if someone who's 80% or 90% is better than somebody else's best, then too bad. That's what he's saying now? I mean, isn't that the truth, Her? Isn't that the truth? Shut up! Don't say anything! <laughs> Just don't say anything! Keep your mouth shut! Right. Because what you did is you put the parameters for Juilliard's coming back. And now mm -hmm. what you're doing is saying, I saw what I have. Yep. It's not very good. I'd rather take yeah. my chances with a player who just had a baby and almost 600 days, over 600 days, of no competitive matches than what I have. It's a slap in the face yep. to the players who are there and to the players who aspire to be there. Yeah. Uh, Herc, let me ask you this. If Vlatko Anonofsky genuinely believes that Julie Ertz can help this team and he hasn't figured out what to do with that six, wouldn't he be irresponsible not to at least try? How long have they been doing this? It's two years and he couldn't find a, a six? That's, that's the reality years. here. Okay. It's two years. And it's also a place of privilege for Julie Ertz. Most players don't have the luxury, don't have mm -hmm. the ability to say... Forget it. I don't need to play club soccer to survive. Yeah. I don't need to play club soccer to, I think that's the interesting to, thing here, to right? prove that I can come back to the women's national team. I'll pick and choose. Yeah. This seems like something from, I don't know, 20 or 30 years ago in the women's game when a player could really either almost not have a club career or really minimize their club commitments and focus solely on the national team. But in 2023, it's hard to believe that this is happening. I think this is her sign of two things. One, the player that Julie Ertz was, because she really was that player, and they really haven't Absolutely. replaced her. Um, but it's not just two years, right? Two years is how long it's been basically since she played for the national team. Her last full professional season was 2019. I mean, you got to go way back. So I think it really truly is a sign of desperation. And people might say, you know, we're being hyperbolic or we're exaggerating. I don't know what else to call the number one team in Says the world, you. according Says to you. the FIFA rankings. No, according to the FIFA okay. rankings. I don't know what else to call the number one team in the world, the defending World Cup champions, 
calling in a player who hasn't played in over 600 days in a competitive match in the last window before a World Cup. I don't know what else to call that, Herc, other than desperate. Can but if Vladko Nanovsky believes this is this is the desperate play, I think he's got I think he's got to take it. I think he's got to at least kick the tires on this. Take it. You've already done it. But keep your mouth shut. I'll leave you with this. The last words that'll make mm -hmm. your mind, your head explode. As everyone else, she will have nothing. She will have to earn her minutes. Excuse me. She will mm -hmm. have to earn her minutes. Nothing is going to be given. That's what Vladko mm -hmm. said. All right. Well, she can uh, she can earn it in this camp, and who knows? Maybe she will uh, end up playing in the NWSL. She said in her statement, uh, "Nothing decided yet, but we know that Angel City has had her right. She's yeah. had the opportunity. Angel City's wanted her to play, but uh, so far, Julie Ertz has not. Let's see what she can bring to the U.S. Women's National Team here in April. He's Hercules Gomez. I'm Sevi Salazar. It's Thursday, so we will see you back here on Monday for the next edition of All America. They're going to be asking, "Why is that little man so yellow?" Here on ESPN Plus. Well lit, well lit.